Hello, this is Pastor Matthew. I just want to take a moment personally to say thank you so much for taking time to listen to this podcast. Our mission is to impact the valley and bless the nations with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We encourage you to go check out our website at crosslinkva.com. By doing so, you can learn all about the ministries of Crosslink and how we're involved in the community. Please know we're praying for you. God bless you. This morning, as we look to Romans chapter 13, we begin a new sermon series simply entitled, It's High Time. It's High Time. Now, I wonder this morning, when you hear the word time, what comes to your mind? I imagine when some of us think of the word time, we think of a literal, actual, factual minutes and hours. We think of a specific logistical time. We might think of that question, well, what time is it? We might think about our watch or our cell phone or the timer that we have on the oven in our kitchen, and we think about a very specific reference, if you will, in time. Some of us think of the word time, and instead of thinking of it as a specific moment in time, we think of it as a general reference of time. For example, we often think of times of the past that we might say, hey, remember the time we went on that vacation? Remember the time we shared that memory? All those were some good times. It's a general reference to time. Others view time, if you will, in a way that it's an environment simply by which things occur. As a result of that, they see time oftentimes as something that's strategic, something that must be utilized for good. They understand there's only an allotted amount of time, so they want to make the most of it. And then there's maybe another percentage that's just like, man, I just want to pass the time. Let's get the time back as quickly as I can, as quickly as I can. I went to a restaurant yesterday to pick up some food to take home, and I asked the guy, man, how's your day going? He's like, man, I'm just trying to pass the time. That's all I'm doing. I was like, hey, you gave me a great sermon illustration for tomorrow. Thank you, buddy. (laughs) The truth is we view time in all these different ways. But I believe in this moment in time, there is a way that God is calling us to view the time that God has given us. The reality is we understand today that time is a gift from God. The moments that you have, the life that you have, the breath that you're breathing, the mind that is processing even now is a gift from God. God gives you time as a gift from him for which ultimately we can live our lives to accomplish his purposes for our lives. But here's the reality of that time. None of us knows how much time we have. We won't have forever here on this earth. We won't always have life as we have it today. We don't always have the guarantee that our our lungs are going to breathe, that our heart's gonna beat, that our mind's gonna be clear. And so our time is fleeing. The psalmist taught us how to pray in Psalm 90 verse 12 when he said, Lord, teach us to number our days that we may present to you a heart of wisdom. What God is calling us to see today loud and clear is this. Knowing that time is a gift from him, we must live it with a sense of of intentionality and a sense of urgency in our lives. It's high time. Over the next six weeks, we're gonna learn specifically what it's high time for. And we begin today loud and clear with the calling to understand that God is saying to his church, I believe it's high time to wake up. It's high time to wake up. I want to ask you if you're physically able to do so, will you stand to your feet for the reading of God's word? We're going to read Romans chapter 13, verses 11 through 14. And this passage is going to be the launching pad, the diving board, if you will, for our sermon series. And the themes that we see in these four verses, we're going to unpack in much greater detail in the coming weeks. Here's what the Bible says. Do this. Somebody say, do this. It's a call to action. Knowing the time 
that it is already the hour for you to awaken from sleep. For now, salvation is nearer to us than when we believed. The night is almost gone, and the day is near. Therefore, let us lay aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave properly as in the day, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual promiscuity and sensuality, not in strife and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh in regard to its lust. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for this morning and I thank you for this moment in time that you've brought us together. God, in the midst of the craziness that we church, so Father, today help us to realize the urgency of the moment and not to miss what you're calling us to do. Give us eyes to see, ears to hear, hearts to sense, and feet to respond in obedience. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. God bless you, you may be seated this morning. It's high time to wake up. Today as we open God's word, beginning this new sermon series, we're parachuting right into the latter portion of the book of Romans which might seem a bit unfortunate because Romans is such a rich book. The theme of Romans largely is focused on the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ. The first half of Romans really is speaking of the reality that all mankind has sinned, that even those of us who think we're good and we try to do good, that all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and the only way we can be made righteous is through faith in Jesus Christ. We're gonna look more at that in just a moment. The latter half of the book of Romans is then telling us this, now that you know righteousness in Christ, how do you live it out? The first half of the book is reminding us that the only way to be righteous is through faith in Christ. The second half of the book is saying, now, now that you've experienced Jesus Christ, here's how you live out righteously the righteousness that God has given us in Jesus Christ. Specifically in this immediate context, he's telling us how we live out practically the righteousness of Christ in many relationships. How do we live out the righteousness of Christ in the context of the church? How do we live out our righteousness in Christ in the context of our relationship with the government? Hello, we need to hear that today. How do we live out the righteousness of Christ in the context even of the world and the culture that is around us? It is in that context that the Bible reminds us in verses eight and nine, just prior to this, that we literally are to love our neighbor as ourselves. And as a result of that, God is saying, now listen, yes, the only way you can be righteous is through Jesus. And now here is how you live it out. The righteousness of God, in other words, in our lives should impact the way that we practically love and live towards one another. It's high time. That sounds like a strange statement, doesn't it? In our culture today, we don't use that type of terminology. None of us say, hey man, it's high time for anything. And yet that's the exact context of this verse. The original Greek that was translated in the King James literally worded it this way, do this knowing the time that now it is high time to awake out of sleep. That phrase, high time, suggests something of utmost urgency. It's like God is saying, listen, church, the time is at hand. It's like God is saying, listen, the alarm clock is already ringing. Don't miss it. You're literally a breath away from missing the opportunity at hand. The old illustration was given of a little boy one day that went to visit his grandparents after school. And as he was there to play and have fun with his grandparents, his grandfather got tired, and so he went back to the back bedroom to take a brief nap and the little boy watched as his grandmother made him a snack for the afternoon and she put the snack on the table and he began to eat and she said, no, now Johnny, I, I've got some laundry to do. I'm going to the laundry room. I'll be back in a few minutes. And so she left the room and he sat there all by himself, began to eat his afternoon snack and 
The clock got to about four o'clock in the afternoon and the grandfather clock in the hallway began to chime and it chimed and it chimed and it chimed. But Johnny quickly noticed it didn't stop chiming. It just kept chiming and it kept chiming. 17 total chimes later, Johnny was a little bit upset. He didn't understand what was going on. He was panicked and he was worried. He'd never heard the clock make that many chimes. So he rushed into the laundry room to his grandmother and he said, oh, grandmama, we got to wake up granddaddy. It's later than it's ever been before. Well, of course, that's a silly illustration, but that is the context of the tone of this command and this instruction. It's high time. It's literally calling us to a sense, to an illustration of urgency where God is saying, don't miss the moment. For us here today, for example, it's the baseball player in the bottom of the ninth, two outs, two strikes. It's now or never. It's the group that's in the competition on the Food Network. They got some big project they're working on and the deadline's coming and they're literally at the last second, it's now or it's never. It's the student who has the midnight deadline and they're watching as they're trying to get the final word document done. It's 1159 and counting and they're just trying to get the internet to work as they push submit. Students, some of you, that's a reminder to not get the project done, okay? What God is saying loud and clear is this. Church, I know there's distractions. I know there's a crazy world. I know there's darkness all around you, but it is high time for some things to happen in your life. And he begins with this reminder. It is high time to wake up, to awaken out of sleep. The reality is this morning, it can be very easy for us today to go through the motions. It can be very easy for us today to be religious it can be very easy for us today to show up at church and look a certain way, have the lingo and the verbiage, put on a certain... In other words, it can be very easy to be a sleepwalker. I remember a few months ago, as I was at my house and I was in the back, back bedroom, Heather and I, we were asleep. It was the middle of the night. It's like around 2.30 in the morning. And, and I was awakened to the noise of realizing that somebody was in the house. And as I listened, as I laid in bed and was trying to come, you know, kind of become awake of what was going on, I, I realized I was hearing something close, up and close, and it dawned on me, those are the kitchen cabinets. And so I went into the, the kitchen and I, and I watched as one of my children was opening and closing cabinets in the middle of the night. And I said, what are you doing? The child never responded, finally got a cup, went over to the refrigerator, got a, a little bit of water, took a sip, put the cup down. And I was like, what are you doing? Child never responded, walked right down the hallway, went right into their bed. The next morning, I was like, what? What, you, what were you doing last night? What are you talking about? You were slamming cabinet doors at 2.30 in the morning. No, I wasn't. Yes, you were. You got a couple more. No, I didn't. I showed them the cup. Oh. You know what the child was doing? The child was sleepwalking. The reality is, spiritually speaking, it's so easy for us to get caught up in, into routines and get caught up into practices and patterns without truly taking time to examine. What is God saying to me? What is God calling me to do? How is God moving and speaking in the context of the church today? Here's what Paul says in Ephesians chapter five. For this reason it says, awake sleeper and arise from the dead and Christ will shine on you. So be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time because the days are evil. In other words, please understand loud and clear today, I believe what God is saying to us is simply this. It is not time, church, for complacency and apathy. It is not time for compromise and cover-ups. It is not time for strife and conflicts. It is not time for rest and relaxation. It is not time for silence and being ashamed. It is time, it is already time, it's high time to wake up. 
Well, how do we do that? I think there's three exhortations in this text that we'll see today and we'll unpack in a lot more detail in the coming weeks. Three things we need to be intentional about if we are to wake up this morning. Number one, I believe the first exhortation from this text is this, we must be certain of our salvation. We must be certain of our salvation. If you're gonna wake up and spiritually become aware to what God is doing and where you stand with God, we must be certain of our salvation. The Bible tells us in verse 11 this simple phrase, for now salvation is nearer to us than when we believed. For now salvation is nearer to us than when we believed. And as Paul pins these words at this moment, he's largely speaking still to a body of people who are professing faith in Christ. And yet Paul understood loud and clear, not everyone there truly was a follower of Jesus. There were many fans in the crowd. There were many who were intrigued. There were many who said, yeah, I love Jesus, but they weren't really following him and living for him. And it's in that context, I think, that Paul is bringing us to this reality that we need to be certain of, we need to examine our salvation. So two things about that. Number one, I want you to understand God's plan of salvation revealed. This phrase, your salvation is nearer than when you believe, please understand. He is speaking to people who were absolutely certain, without a shadow of a doubt, that salvation was a gift they had received through faith in Jesus Christ. I wanna ask you today, have you received God's gift of salvation? Have you accepted God's plan? That word salvation is a simple word. It literally means a rescue or a deliverance. We still to this day use the word saved to describe someone who has been rescued and delivered. Many of you have heard me tell the story before of when I was a child. One day I was at a family's house, Charlie and Pam Lockman's house, and I was in the backyard and I was chasing a butterfly and I got distracted, wasn't paying attention to what was going on and I fell into the deep end of a swimming pool. I had no idea how to swim and I remember as a kid falling into the pool, I remember still to this day the fear, I remember coming up above the water and then swallowing water and it was just kind of a big you know, blurry mess at that point but by God's grace, their teenage son, Sean Lockman, who was cutting the grass that day, happened to come around the backyard, happened to see what was going on and that day, teenager Sean Lockman jumped into the deep end of the pool, pulled my body out and literally saved my life. He rescued me and, if you will, delivered me. He entered my circumstance when I was helpless and hopeless of saving myself, and he rescued me. Well, in the same way, the Bible says that God has made a way for all mankind to be saved and rescued. God himself entered our circumstance. He sent his son Jesus to make a way for us to be saved. Saved from what? What do I need to be saved from, Pastor Matthew? I'm a pretty good guy. I live here in a free country. I try to help my neighbor. My grandmother and grandfather were godly saints. What do I need to be saved from? You need to be saved from your sin. The Bible says in Romans 3, verse 23, that all have sinned. Everybody say all. That's you, that's me, that's all of us, uh, male, female, black, white, it doesn't matter. All of us have sinned and come short of the glory of God. It literally says in Romans 3, 10, there is none righteous, not even one. And Romans 6.23 clarifies that the wages of sin, the consequence, the punishment of that sin is death. That's not just referring to physical death. It's literally referring to the death of our soul. We're literally after this life. We spend an eternity forever separated from God, tormented in hell. Yet God, in his grace and mercy, he didn't just leave us in that helpless state. The Bible says in Romans 6, 23, the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. 
God is saying loud and clear, you can know salvation. You can know that you're rescued. Like Sean literally pulled me out of that drowning place of the pool. God can pull you out of that, of that consequence and that power of sin in your life. But you've got to call upon him and experience that free gift of salvation. The Bible says in Romans chapter 5, verses 6 and 8, that while we were still helpless, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. Verse eight, God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The reason we can be rescued and saved is because Jesus paid the punishment. He paid the price for our sins. And through his price and through that death and through his resurrection, he offers us today the gift of salvation. And he declares in Romans chapter 10, verses nine and 13, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, say those four words with me, you will be saved. Romans 10, 13, for whoever calls on the name of the Lord, three words, will be saved. This is God's plan of salvation. I challenge you today. If anything this pandemic and this culture has taught us today is none of us is guaranteed another day. You don't know the time that you have. I don't know the time that I have. Just two days ago, a friend of ours from Christiansburg texted me and said, hey, I don't know if you're aware of this, but are you aware of this couple that passed away? This time a week ago, one of the dear sisters that, that loved the Lord and served the Lord with us on Sunday afternoon, she passed away. Within 24 hours, the very next day, her husband passed away. You do not know the time that you have. So I challenge you, do you know without a doubt that you've been forgiven of your sins, that your soul has been saved, and that heaven is your home. Have you accepted God's plan of salvation? The second thing I want you to see about that is this. It's not only God's plan of salvation that's been revealed. God's promise of salvation will be fulfilled. Listen to this statement, Romans 13, 11. For now, salvation is nearer to us than when we believed. That sounds really weird, doesn't it? Now, salvation is closer to us in the future than it was to us in the past when we believed. Now, let me explain that maybe in a, hopefully a way to simplify this. When God's word speaks of salvation, it speaks of it in three tenses, past, present, and future, okay? God's salvation to us is past, present, and future. Let me illustrate that. God's salvation is past in this sense. If you have confessed Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Savior, you have been saved, that might have happened 20 years ago, 10 years ago, one year ago, or 30 seconds ago when you confessed Christ as Lord of your life. For me, by God's grace, that happened many years ago when I was a child. I didn't know all the details, but I knew I was in need of a Savior, and I called upon Jesus to be my Lord and Savior, put my faith in him. It's a past thing. I have been saved. Ephesians 2 says it this way in verse 8. For by grace you, what's the phrase? Have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. But that salvation is not just something that you experience in the past. See, my salvation today, it's not just about what I experienced as a child. It's by God's grace what he's continuing to work out in my life today. It's not just that years ago he saved me from, from hell in the future. It's that even today, God is saving me from the power of sin in my life today. 
Listen to what the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18. For all who believe in Jesus Christ, he's calling us to recognize this salvation is an ongoing working gift in our life. He says this, for the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are, listen to the phrase, being saved, it is the power of God. It's a present tense, but there's a third tense. There's a future tense. There's a future aspect of our salvation that God is pointing us to in Romans chapter 13 when he says this, for now salvation is nearer to us than when we believed. I was saved when I believed in Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. If you've never done that, that's your first step. I am being saved by his power at work in my life to set me free from sin. But one day, soon and very soon, Jesus is coming again. My faith will end inside. I will see the fulfillment of that salvation because I will be united with Jesus Christ when he calls me to be with him. What the Bible's saying is, loud and clear, one day the trumpet will sound, the eastern sky will split, and Jesus Christ will come, and he will call all the believers to be with him in the clouds. There's a rapture that will take place. And that future day is the salvation that he's talking about. We might live in a fallen, dark, and sinful, diseased, and destructive world. But believer, one day we're going to heaven. If you know Christ as your Lord and Savior, as bad as it may get here, please understand, this is the only hell you'll ever experience. Because one day, we're gonna be saved and we're gonna be rescued. We're gonna see the fulfillment of that salvation that Jesus is indeed the author and the finisher of our faith. Jesus himself said in John chapter 14, verse three, if I go and prepare a place for you, he told the disciples, I will come again and receive you to myself that where I am, you may be also. Jesus, of course, came to this earth, lived a sinless life, died on the cross, was buried in a tomb, three days later rose again from the grave, appeared to many witnesses over a period of time, and then he ascended into heaven, and the disciples stood there gazing in amazement at what was going on. What did the angels say in Acts chapter one? They said this, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking in the sky? This Jesus who has been taken up from you into heaven will come in just the same way as you have watched him go into heaven. What he's saying loud and clear is this. Jesus is coming again. And when he does, we will be caught up with him, saved and rescued from this fallen and broken world. Please don't miss this three-letter, simple, yet powerful word in Romans 13. Here's what he says in verse 11. For now, salvation is nearer than when we believed. That little word now is a reminder for us today. Oh, but Pastor Matthew, we've got these things that we want to accomplish in our life. Now our salvation is nearer than when we believe. Oh, but Pastor Matthew, I just, I'd rather do these other things and I'm not ready for that right now. Now is our salvation nearer than when we believe. It is a calling to urgent attention to be, attention to be ready now and to wake up now to the things of the Lord. It may be in death that God calls us home. It may be in the rapture when Jesus comes again. But the reality is this, every single passing moment is bringing us a moment closer to our standing before the Lord. So here's my question. Are you certain of your salvation? Are you certain of your salvation? Seeker, have you put your faith in Jesus Christ and confessed him to be the Lord of your life? Christian, are you ready to stand before God and give an account? When you think of Jesus' coming again, are you thinking of it today as a great day of rejoicing? 
Or frankly, would there be much that you are ashamed of? Be certain of your salvation. Secondly, if we're gonna wake up, not only must we be certain of our salvation, we must be committed in our actions. Christian, I wanna challenge you, as God's word calls us out, be committed in your actions. The Bible tells us in verses 12 and 13 some words of application. Yes, it's true, Jesus is coming again. But that truth should have a radical impact in how we live our lives here today. Verse 12, here's what he says. The night is almost gone. He's speaking that in reference to the fact that we live in a dark world today. There's darkness all around us. The night is almost gone, and the day, that future day of Christ's return, it's near. Therefore, let us lay aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave properly as in the day, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual promiscuity and sensuality, not in strife and jealousy. I remind you this morning that Jesus said in John chapter nine, verse five, while I am in the world, I am the light of the world. And yet, of course, we understand today, Jesus, of course, he did die on the cross. He was buried. He did raise again from the grave. He did ascend to heaven. And today, he's in heaven preparing a place for all who believe. Today, we live in this dark world. We see the evidences of that all around us. We're reminded loud and clear today that this world is not our home. And yet, the Bible tells us, when you and I believe in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, Jesus, the light of the world, he begins to shine his light in us. Through the indwelling Holy Spirit of God and through his word, he begins to show things in our life that we need to lay aside, that we need to put aside, show things in our life that we need to turn from. Why? Because he's the light of the world and as we accept him into our life, he begins to transform us. See, the truth is it's easy to look at the world. I mean, just turn on the news or read the newspaper. It's easy to see the darkness in the world. But the truth is, the more we grow in our relationship with Jesus, the more we begin to realize, frankly, the darkness in our own hearts and lives. The more we begin to realize our own hearts are deceitful and desperately wicked above all things. Who can know it? The prophet Isaiah, who was a messenger from God, God had a specific plan and purpose for him to say, thus says the Lord. Isaiah looked at his world and then he looked within and listened to what he prayed as he confessed to God in Isaiah 6. He said, woe is me. For I am ruined because I'm a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. See, Isaiah knew the imperfections of the world around him, but the closer he grew to God, the more he saw his own imperfections, his own flaws, his own weaknesses, his own struggles. And here's what he's saying. He's saying, God, I don't have to look at the darkness of others. I see it even with me. God, forgive me. God, clean me. God, make me who you want me to be. Isaiah was committed to God in his actions. This is a reminder for us today that when you and I today consider that day when Jesus comes again, it should impact the way we live our lives today. First John chapter three says it this way. Beloved, now, key word again, we're children of God. And it has not appeared as yet what we will be. We know that when he appears, we will be like him because we will see him just as he is. Listen to this statement. And everyone who has this hope fixed on him purifies himself just as he is pure. That day that's coming 
It should have radical impact and influence in how we simply live our lives today. Let me illustrate that in maybe a simple way. We've already sang about it just a moment ago, but we've all probably seen, whether by Hallmark Channel or by our own lives, the engagement of a, of a young man and a young girl to get married. Uh, one of the things that I love most in ministry is getting to minister to couples who go through that process of getting engaged and going through premarital counseling and then getting married. And sometimes that engagement process is like three months or six months or a year or multiple years. I met a guy this past week, on this past Wednesday actually, over a, over a meal. He and his, his, his wife were engaged a grand total of two and a half weeks. That's a record time, I think, I'm not sure. But there is, I love ministering to couples in that situation. But we understand the story. There, a guy will meet a girl and they will begin to date and they will grow in their relationship and they will grow in their love for each other. And, and then finally the time will come where the young man will say, I love you. I want to spend the rest of my life with you. Will you please marry me? And in that moment, she's got a choice to make. And Hallmark says that everybody says, yes, I will. You know, that's, that's what Hallmark says. Right, John Edwards? Okay, anyway, just check and make sure we're awake. All right, so that's how it happens. Well, let me ask you a question. Once the engagement takes place, a date is generally set. It might be months, it might even be years. But let me ask you a question. Do the bride and groom just sit back at that point and do nothing? Do they stop dating? Do they stop spending time together? Oh, we're engaged, great, that sounds awesome. See you in a few years at the altar. No, it doesn't work that way. No, there, no, in that moment, there's a commitment. I love you. I'm devoted to you. We're going to be together uh, in marriage, and we're, we're going to you know, last the long haul. And so as a result of that, there's an investment in relationship. They spend time together. They continue dating. The bride is often working, the, the groom hopefully with her, to work towards preparing and thinking about the day and the colors and the wedding party and the food and the cake and the cake and the cake. I love cake anyway. But I mean, all these things, like they're planning ahead. Why? Because that future day impacts the focus of today. And yet even as I say that to you, I'm reminded that it, there's not always that same commitment. I, I remember very distinctly a, a couple many years ago who went through that process of getting engaged and they were preparing for, for marriage and they asked me, Pastor Matt, would you do our wedding? And I said, well, let's meet and talk about it. And we began to go through premarital counseling. And I remember like, like two, two sessions in, two meetings together in, there were some major red flags. And so the topic of our conversation changed a little bit to about honesty and transparency and trust and truth and all these different things. And I'll never forget the pain two weeks later as the young man called me Weeping, asking for counsel, not knowing what to do because in the honesty and transparency, the young lady had just confessed to him that through the entirety of their relationship and even their engagement, she had been unfaithful to him with many different people. And he was heartbroken and his dreams were shattered and he didn't know what to do and he wasn't sure well, how to move forward. Pastor Matt, what do I do? She, she said she loved me, but these are the actions. She wasn't really committed to me and there was such a contradiction and he was struggling through that. By God's grace, God's done a work in his heart today and I'm thankful for where he is today, but here's the reality. That illustration grips us where we are because we can in some ways all at least burden or be grieved for that sense of pain. But is it not an accurate picture of what occurs when we too profess our love and devotion to Jesus and yet we don't truly live lives committed to him? 
Jesus, I love you. Jesus, I want to serve you. Jesus, I want to live for your glory. On Sundays. Yes, Lord, I love you, Lord. Even so, come. I can't wait to be in heaven. But then we so often leave and turn back to the same old sin, the same old pleasures, the same old way of life. We deal with the same old conviction, the same old shame, the same old hypocrisy we've been walking in for years. Jesus is calling in this moment to be fully committed, not just in our profession, not just in a Sunday performance, no, 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 in our life fully surrendered to him. So what does this commitment in our actions look like? Two things. Number one, simply this. God is calling us to lay aside the deeds of darkness. He says it this way in verse 12. The night is almost gone, the day is near. Therefore, let us lay aside the deeds of darkness. He goes on to kind of list some of them. We're to behave properly as in the day, verse 13, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual promiscuity and sensuality, not in strife and jealousy. Now, to be clear, I'm not gonna spend a ton of time walking through each of these, these names. God, God's not giving you a checklist. Okay, now check this one, check this one, check this one. In fact, you could go to Galatians chapter five and look at a more thorough description of the works of the flesh that would be described here. What God is simply saying to us is this. Even though we live in a dark and fallen world, if you know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, then the light of the world, Jesus, has called you out of darkness and into light. One of the evidences of that will be this. We won't continue walking in the deeds of darkness. We will walk now as children of light. Listen to what Jesus said in John 8, verse 12. He said, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in the darkness, but will have the light of life. Well, how does that apply in our life? Listen to what Paul said in 1 Thessalonians 5. But you, brethren, you're not in darkness. Wait a second, we see darkness all around us. That's true, but we're not positionally in it anymore. You, brethren, are not in darkness, that the day would overtake you like a thief. For you are all sons of light and sons of day. We are not of night nor of darkness. So then, let us not sleep as others do, but let us be alert and sober. You know what happens as you and I begin to look to Jesus and live for him, as we walk in a relationship with him, letting his word fill our hearts, letting the Holy Spirit guide us? Here's what happens. Just like it is when you walk into a room and you turn on the light switch, what does the light do? The light pushes away the darkness. In fact, not only does the light push away the darkness, the light exposes things that need to be put away. Even though this worship center was cleaned this week, it was cleaned uh, just this past, you know, just a few days before we walked into this place, when I walked in today, I saw a piece of trash over in the corner. You know what I did? I picked it up, put it in my pocket, still sitting there at this moment. You know why I saw it? Because the light revealed it. When you and I walk with Jesus, the light of Jesus Christ exposes the deeds of darkness in our life, our struggles, our weaknesses, our temptations, the deceitfulness of our heart, so that we can put those things aside. Like unwanted baggage that weighs us down and hinders our growth, we must put these things away. Hebrews 12.1, let us lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which easily entangles us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Lay aside the deeds of darkness. Here's the second step. And live for the day. Live for the day. Paul here gives us a very interesting illustration. 
Yes, put aside the deeds of darkness, put on the armor of light, and let us behave properly as in the day. Now, to be clear, whether it's daytime or nighttime, we can all choose to do any sin at any time of day, no doubt about it. But oddly enough, even law enforcement officers in our culture today will tell you that the hours of greatest issues and greatest challenges in the culture happens at what hours? It happens at night. It happens after the sun goes down. Something about that aspect of darkness gives people a sense of they can do whatever they want to and people may not see it. And yet in the sense of being brought daylight, like the idea is that the light is shining on you, you tend to be more careful about how you live. The picture here is what God is saying today is this. Christian, knowing that Jesus is coming again, we are to live our life today in light of that coming day as if that day is happening right now at this moment. Like his light is shining on us in this moment. Ephesians chapter five, verses eight and 10 says it this way. You were formerly darkness, but now, key word again, you are light in the Lord. So walk as children of light, for the fruit of the light consists in all goodness and righteousness and truth, trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. Put on, he says, the armor of light. We hear that word armor and we think primarily probably what they thought of in that day. It is a military term. We often don't like to think of battles and wars and conflicts, but the reality is, accept it or like it or not, we're on a spiritual battle. We battle the temptations of our own flesh. We battle the deceptiveness of our own hearts. We battle against the pressures of the world. We battle against the temptations that we see that might come against us. We battle even against Satan himself. And yet the Bible says, put on the armor of light. When they would hear that word in that moment, literally the imagery here is of a soldier who would be awakened for the day. And what would he do? He would put aside his night clothes, so to speak. He'd put on his armor and he'd run in the battle. When you came here this morning, my guess is you didn't come here in your pajamas. We're all thankful you didn't. Right, I mean, that is, you, you put those things aside and you got ready you got to be more appropriate, more presentable so that you'd come here today. In a very visual image, what God is saying is this loud and clear. Listen, Christian, you've got to put aside the old and put on the armor of life because you're walking into battle. Now, let me go back to that illustration of putting on the armor of light. Think back to that illustration of that young lady and that young man and the young lady who, she, she hears that question, will you marry me? And she has to respond with a yes or a no. At Hallmark, everybody says yes. And so she says yes for our illustration's sake. And when that happens, the young man gives her a ring. It is an outward symbol. It is an outward token. Now, this is not true in every case and every situation. But most of the time, when a young lady gets an engagement ring, she wears it all the time. She doesn't part from it. She doesn't take it off. She wears it all the time. Why? Because it is a reminder to her and it is also an, a message to everybody else that listen, she belongs to another. There is coming a day she is going to be married. They're going to be made husband and wife. And she wears that ring with an anticipation and awareness that there is coming a future celebration unlike any other. It's her wedding day. Well, in Christ, we don't have a ring, but we have the Holy Spirit who has been given to us as a pledge of our inheritance. 
as a constant reminder every day, every moment of it, that we're to live our life putting on the armor of life, recognizing and knowing we are living towards and looking towards that day we're united with Christ. Third thing I want you to see, and we'll close, is this. We're going to wake up. We've got to be certain of our salvation. Be committed in our actions. And number three, here's what he's getting to. We must be clothed in Christ. We must be clothed in Christ. Verse 14. But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh in regard to its lusts. I love what Paul is doing here in this moment. He is showing us that this garment that he's calling us to put on every single day, it's more than an object. It is personified. He's calling us literally to put on the Lord Jesus Christ. That might sound weird to us today. Wait a second, wait a second. Jesus is a person. How, how can we put him on, right? It sounds so weird. But putting on Jesus Christ is a depiction of his lordship, his rule and his reign over our very hearts and lives. Think of it for a moment. Before Jesus was the Lord of my life, I lived my life for Matthew Kirkland. I did what I wanted, said what I wanted, lived how I wanted. It was about me. Frankly, there were also other times before Jesus that I didn't live for Matthew Kirkland always, but I lived for other people, for their approval and their applaud. How could I be accepted by them? But when you and I come to the place where we truly surrender to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, that is the idea of putting on the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's not something that you put on. Oh, I did this years ago. Oh, yeah. And when I prayed that prayer, when I was baptized, you know, that, that time, that's when I put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank God. When you come to that place of faith in Jesus Christ, confessing him as Lord, yes, in that moment, you are clothed in Christ. But can I just remind us, that covering that we have in Christ demands a constant daily application. In fact, that is the exact terminology that's used when Paul says, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ. In the Greek, the way you could say it is simply this, but be putting on. It's a continuous, ongoing action in our life. Listen to how he says in Colossians 3, verse 10. Put on the new self, who is, here's the process, being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. It's a daily putting on of Christ. Let, let me illustrate it really in the most practical ways. And I think it's what Paul's getting to when he says, put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Fact of the matter is today, you eventually woke up and got out of bed. For some of us, it took a lot of work to do so, but you got there. You got out of bed this morning and you, you cleaned up a little bit and eventually the time came that you picked out your garments and you put them on. And probably without even thinking about it, you put them on with the understanding that these garments are gonna make you presentable to others. They're gonna clothe you and cover you. These garments are going to be with you everywhere you go today. 
And whether you even realize it in the moment, subconsciously, it was a reality that basically everything you experienced and everything you did, your garments were also going to experience. Today, I have no idea how many times I've moved my arms, but every time I have, my garments have moved with me. Right? In a very simple and practical way, God is calling us through Paul to recognize Jesus wasn't called to be part of our life. He's deserving and desiring to be Lord of our life. That every single day, we would humble ourselves and surrender ourselves to his lordship and leadership in our life. That he would so clothe us like a garment that everywhere we'd go, we'd recognize he is with us. That everything we would do, we would recognize he is with us. That every step we take, he's with us along the way to lead us and to guide us and to help us, to strengthen us, to encourage us. Like a garment that won't be taken away, Jesus is there and he's calling us to put him on so that we can be the vessels that he has called us to be. So that his light shines in us and through us for his glory. Really what it boils down to is this. It's a daily dying to self that it's not about me, it's all about him. No wonder this same apostle Paul would say in Galatians 2.20, for I am crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. No wonder when you look at the Apostle Paul's life, we don't really see him so much, but what we see loud and clear is we see Jesus in and through him. And my hope and prayer for us today as a church, for each of us as believers, is that we won't be guilty of just going through the motions. That we won't be so distracted by all the different noise in the world. I pray for us as a body of believers that we would be awake alert to God's moving in our life, alert to God's working and surrender to Christ's lordship in our life so that he molds us, shapes us and works through us to shine bright in this world. We live in a dark world, but brothers and sisters in Christ, we are children of light. Let's live like it. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this day and this time together. I pray that we would have a sense of urgency right now in this moment. That we would not be sleepwalking our way through life, so to speak, but that we would walk through this life trusting and believing in you. That we would walk through this life turning from sin and turning to you. That we would walk through this life daily being clothed in Christ so that we might be more and more like him, but that we might also love others like him. God, I pray in Jesus' name that you would wake us up, stir our hearts, draw us to yourself, and bring about the changes in our life that's needed. I pray in Jesus' name. Thank you so much for taking time to listen to this podcast. We encourage you to come and join us right here on our campus. We're located right next to the county fairgrounds here in Harrisonburg, Virginia. 
If you have any questions about the church, any question about the message, feel free to email us or call us and let us know. And we look forward to seeing you soon. God bless you.